to the Beer Healer Interviews. I am your host, Chris Lukinenko, and I scour this big brand land of ours, looking under fermenters and behind mash tuns to find the best beer stories to share with you. The Beer Healer Interviews is now available on all major podcast services. If you like the show and want to help out, can I ask you to simply rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast service. Just leave a few words and a rating and the podcast gods will do the rest. By doing this, you'll help others to discover the show more easily and hopefully get more people interested in this great industry that we call craft beer. You know what? I'm really not sure where to start with my introduction tonight because I think most listeners would have heard of Deeds Brewing. Shit, if you are on any form of social media and take an interest in beer, you would have seen a plethora of images of their beers as they are what are affectionately known as hot beers, sending bloggers like me into a bloody frenzy. The great thing is, the hype around the beers is backed up by outstanding liquids, which has seen their beers being touted as some of the best in the land. Not bad for a brewery that had a bit of a tough start getting their own place to call home, taking almost three years to get set up. Once they did, they have been kicking ass and taking names just like a late 90s era WWE wrestler. (laughs) Much like The Rock, who burst onto the scene in those days, Deeds have arrived to take the competition by storm, delivering their slick one-liners like a superstar and backing it up with their skills in the ring. Or in their case, hot-fueled beers that deliver on the promise that once the can is cracked. How the hell did I get from the brewery in Glen Iris to the WWE? I've got no bloody idea, but I think this is going to be a bit of fun tonight. So welcome to the Beer Healer interviews, Justin Corbett and Ned Bowring from Deeds Brewing. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. That was, that was, uh, quite, that was quite the intro. I, I love that. Hey, you like A that? wrestling reference. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know how I worked that one in this afternoon, but it just, it just came to me. I thought, yep, I'm going to go with that, and I don't care if people don't like it because I love it. That's okay. Oh, it's a- Man after my own heart. I was a <laughs> big, big WWE fan or WWF as it was yes, when I was growing yeah. up. So Yeah, me too, yeah. me too. So if I could just set the scene for the listeners tonight, we've uh, got Ned who uh, was running a bit late for the, the, the broadcast and then uh, we had awful technical issues, but we've got him here. And we've got Justin with a crying baby at home, so he's actually out in his car recording this interview tonight. So I appreciate the effort, fellas. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate the fact that Justin was sitting in his car for 40 minutes waiting for me. So then all of a sudden Claire went ballistic and I was like, I have to go do this. And I, and I was like, I'm going out to my office and I'm sitting literally in my driveway with my neighbors, probably looking out at their windows doing, you know, he's up to no good. The neighborhood watches on me, but that's okay. <laughs> it's been nice, mate. We've had about 40 minutes to get to know each other, but I'll tell you what, it has made me thirsty. Yes. So I've got to say thank you for sending me down a few samples this past week or so. My pleasure. It's been much appreciated. I, uh, I've i loved the beers, and tonight I've got the Don't Know About That Amarillo Hazy Double IPA, 8.5%, exactly what you want on a school night. Yes. <laughs> a big 8.5% beer at half past nine at night. You! <laughs> <laughs> have you guys got a beer with you? Uh, I have, yes. I do as you well. You need one. Yeah. What do you got? Is it illegal to be sitting in your driveway drinking beers in your car? I've left the keys in the house, so technically there's <laughs> nothing going on here. You're all clear. You're all clear. It's, yeah, I'm, I yes. think I'm all clear. Believe that was always the rules I understood growing up that you, you could be in the car, but as long as the keys were nowhere near the ignition, technically you're fine if you're parked. You're okay. Ah, well, as I said in the opener, I'm a bit bloody excited about this one tonight because uh, I have been following you guys along you know, for the last couple of years um, from afar, admiring from afar some of the great stuff you've been putting out. So let's get into it. 
And uh, I always like to take a quick look back at the history of, of the breweries and my guests' own personal brewing history. Deej has got a pretty interesting backstory, and we will get to that. But how about we jump back into your careers first? Uh, Seeing as I've been on the line with you for about 40 minutes, Justin, let's start with yours, mate. Uh, tell us a bit about your uh, your backstory in terms of brewing. Sure. Well, you know, I got into the idea of good beer or craft beer uh, a long time ago, you know, back in, a, I think it was 1999, you know, I was... 17 and went to a, a bottle shop in a local college town that had, uh, expensive beer in it, um, which we termed as good beer. And, um, you know, one of those beers was arrogant bastard in a, like a 750 mil bottle, you know, at the time. And it was $9, which is as much as a case of natural light costs. So, (laughs) you know, we, we, we doubled down and went for it just to see if what a $9 beer tastes like. And it's laughable that that was considered expensive to me, <laughs> given what I pay for beer at the moment sometimes. Um, and then from there, I just had a love of, of, of good beer, the idea of good beer and like European beer, Belgian beer. You go on this discovery of discovering different beers. And then I, um, I left uh, the United States in 2007 and I went to Eastern Europe and I lived in Slovakia for three years and I got into my Pilsners there and that was fun. And then I ended up moving into Asia where I ended up meeting uh, my wife, Erica. She was from Australia. And then we eventually ended up moving here in around 2015. And I got my first job. I decided I was going to become um, you know, a brewer. I had been home brewing in Singapore because the beer was so expensive. Oh, my uh, God, isn't it over there? Yeah, Jeez. well, it's expensive here too, but it, it took me aback a little bit um, what yeah. a pint would cost of just like a, a tiger lager. And um, – <laughs> started making my own beer, which, you know, I thought would save me money. It was a dr- dramatic mistake and it ended up costing <laughs> me tons, and tons of money because you just keep, you're like, man, this would be easier if you could keg and it goes on and on. Um, I decided that when we moved to Australia that I was just going to change it up and get out of being, you know, a scrap metal merchant or like a private school athletic director. And I was just going <laughs> to really, be, yeah, become a brewer. And um, I got a job at Holgate. Um, putting bottles in boxes okay. and then oh, yeah. I ended up, you know, I, uh, he was great and he wanted me there, but it just wasn't the right time. And they didn't really have a job other than a couple days a week packaging. Um, but then I hooked up with reservoir and this was under the time, uh, Selton at Hawkers and things started picking up there. So it got extremely busy. So I got the opportunity to get on the deck pretty quick and then, yeah. And then John ended up leaving Hawkers and then I got the opportunity to be the head brewer there. Uh, for uh, a period of time. Um, and then uh, another opportunity popped up and that was Deeds Brewing. And I decided to go there and, um, you know, um, brew, uh, you know, our motto. Amazing brew bees. Of, brew a bunch of beer that we want to drink. Now, uh, now, Justin, we've got through that that intro and we've had a few little technical difficulties again here with Ned, but he's back with us. He's in the room. Excellent. So before we lose him again, we better say, Ned, tell us about your brewing history, mate. Well, my story, I guess, is like most, not not dissimilar from Justin's in starting in a home brewing background. I basically begged my dad to gift me a home brewing kit for my 21st birthday, uh, as cliche as it sounds. It happened, which was thankful because uh, he didn't always buy me the things that I wanted. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I really... Can, before you go any further, can you give us a little example of what you asked for a birthday one time and what you got? I wanted a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip and I got a Barbie or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I wanted I wanted the BMX with, with pegs on the back wheel yeah. so that I could like buzz up to the shops with a mate on the back 
yeah. you know, real like country kind of going to the mall to, you know, hang out. It's not, not much, to, not much to do when you grow up in a country town, and that, and that was like the vibe, you yeah. know. Instead, I got like a a knockoff brand razor scooter. <laughs> wasn't even wasn't even a razor. It was like a I don't know something. It was awful. <laughs> Shit. I, I want to try and beat you on that one because I I had in the. 80s, so I'm I'm a kid of the 70s and 80s, and in the 80s I I asked for a BMX. Now I already had a bike, it was called a Roadmaster, had one of those big long seats on it. You might remember those from the 70s. Oh, sick! Yeah, and so I wanted a BMX, but I didn't get a BMX for that Christmas. I got my own original bike that it just had a new seat put on it and a pair of BMX handlebars, but still had the crappy frame and the <laughs> shitty tires, and that was my BMX. Man, yeah. so, I mean, that's an awesome effort on your parents' part. I like that. It was great. They did the best they could yeah, exactly. with what they had, but it was like, ah, oh, thanks. They're in I mean, store, anyway. and they're like, how much? How much just for the handlebars? <laughs> and you're like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we digress. Ned, get, get back to your brewing journey. Sorry, mate. Uh, had a really good friend who uh, got me into it. I did a few few kits, and I was pretty proud of myself until the the fourth or fifth one tasted a bit like soy sauce. It was a damn shame. Turned me right off it. Um, didn't come back to it for a year or two until I moved into a house, um, and a good friend of mine over the back lane was right into home brewing and I was like, oh, yeah, you still a bit of that, you know. And he's like, cool, why, why don't we do it? And I was like, all right, no worries. My dad bought me a kit for my 21st birthday. I begged him for it. He did it. I did a few. I failed and then I never got back. All right, I'll pull it out, dust it off, and, and let's make it happen. So I ended up making some beer that was better, you know, I thought it tasted better than the James Squire that I was drinking at the time. So it kind of just went downhill from there as far as like I was, I was drinking beer and I realized that I could make better than what I was paying for. So that was the downhill spiral, basically. I went right <laughs> into it and and just started researching everything that I could possibly do to make the beer taste as good as it possibly could. I just remember reaching a point where I was like, oh, man, there's so much to learn. <laughs> well, cool. I'm just going to learn all this and I'm, uh, I have to make the best beer because like I started drinking and I was like, this tastes pretty good. Like how much harder can it be to make professional quality beer? Is that when you, when you made the leap and you made it into um, Boat Rocker? No, that, that was, that was before I was, I was working in environmental sciences at this point and I went for a, a long trip with my wife, went for a, a bit of a travel for like six to 12 months, visited a lot of breweries along the way. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, then when we came back and I was like, you know, we had a bit of a a thing that we had to deal with. My wife's health was not very good. You know, she had cancer and we'd like, we had to uh, deal with that and come back to, to reality, so to speak. And I was like, all right, cool. I can, I can get jobs back in, in virosciences. No problem. I'll just I'll just put the feelers out and see if there's any brewing stuff and yeah man the stars just aligned and bloody hell I was not expecting that I was not expecting that yeah it was real it was a real time but um yeah yeah the stars aligned I managed to secure a job an entry level position at Boat Rocker and spent about twelve months there and then moved to Hawkers where I met Justin and uh, 
yeah, spent a bit over 12 months there learning the process and stuff of a, like a large scale brewery. That was amazing, you know. The stars aligned again and deeds brewing became a real thing and you guys started smashing it. Yeah, it's been, it's been it's been amazing. I feel very very appreciative for where I'm at now and nice. We've got an awesome team and yeah. Justin and I are really close and Are you close Justin? True statement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, when I I can remember the day I I met Neto on the brew deck at Hawkers. And it was the, you know, I think I was desperate. Like we had somebody leaving and I needed to fill a spot. And Ned came in and he was just like, yeah, I've done this and this. And I'm like, great. Hey, come take a look at this brew house. What do you reckon? You think you can push these buttons? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> I think I could. And I'm like, you're hired. And then Gosh. we ended up having a lot of amazing conversations in the cellars way late into the night because we we're working all these crazy hours, pumping out the leaders there. and. Yeah, just um, uh, a, a really a really nice friendship evolved out of that. Just a quickie to let you know how you can help spread the stories of the great people that I talk to on the show. It's all about the socials. If you like an episode, you can share my announcement of it on Instagram, to your story, or to your Facebook feed, or even just leave a thumbs up emoji comment, or maybe tag a friend. It all helps. And of course, it's all about the Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. It's the gold standard for helping people to discover the show. Leave a review, and I'll post it on my Instagram feed. Thanks very much for your support. I'll fill the view, uh, the listeners in on, on what's been going on. We've been having some awful technical troubles tonight with Ned uh, and his gear, and uh, we tried our best to to bring him into this three-way conversation, but uh, we never want to leave a man behind, but sadly we are going to be one man down here tonight, and it'll just be Justin and I because those uh, technical issues don't seem like they're going to fix themselves. No, so, they don't, uh, they don't mate, seem to be. Just, Ned, uh, we're very sorry. Maybe I can uh, record something with you on another day, but we, uh, we need to move on and uh, – and get back into things here, and uh, let's straighten this thing up. So, we're talking about your your early uh, craft beer journey, and then you got yourself to Deeds, Justin. So, like Deeds has actually got a pretty interesting um, history itself. Um, quite a quite a funny little one where they um, the guys that owned Deeds originally owned the rights to Record League Cider yep. back in the day in Australia, which really sort of kickstarted their their overall business, the Red Island distribution business, which then they sort of converted into this thing called. White deeds at the time, and Correct. then um, is, have I have I missed anything there? Because it was it was sort of a, it was a bit of a strange sort of period, and they just took a while to get things moving with what is now known as the the Deeds Brewery in Glen Iris, wasn't it? Yeah, look, I mean that they they had the the recording, you know, they wanted they wanted to start a brewery, but they were you know two guys that had just come out of university, so they didn't have any money, so they ended up uh, starting a distribution business and importing beer from wherever South America, Europe. Um, and from there, they eventually landed on recording, which had its day in Australia, you know, apparently yeah, it was, sure I wasn't here wow. at the time, but as I understand it was everywhere. Started a bloody side of revolution, but I was at light at the time and I know we were like, whoa, how do we defeat this in the cider category? Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess. And then eventually they, you know, they made the decision that they wanted to, to sell off that, that distribution business. And by doing so, you know, get the funds they needed in order to um, build the brewery. Um, and then, you know, the Quiet Deeds brand itself had started about eight years ago. Um, but I don't believe they had settled on a site 
until about maybe maybe four years ago, three, four years ago, they finally settled yep. on the place in Glen Iris. And then it was just a very, very, very long process um, to get that uh, to get that site approved by the local council because Glen Iris in itself is kind of in what they call sometimes the prohibition triangle, you know, a bunch of... <laughs> Did um, they really? Yeah, yeah. Like an area where they don't really issue licenses. So then, you know, they eventually um, went to council the first go around and got the production facility approved, but um, they didn't get the taproom approved. And so I joined Deeds in September of 2018. And we, I think, knocked out our first brew in probably the end of January. Yeah, last year. So it's yep. been, 20, we've been, yeah, it's been about two years, two years and a month. Yeah, yeah. So 2019 was sort of when the thing all sort of got up and running and you flicked the switch and and went from being, I think they were calling themselves Quiet Deeds. I remember the Lamington Ale and a few others in these, and there was like, I think it was like a, a pale ale in a yellow can. And then that sort of got changed to, to Deeds Brewing with the Quiet Deeds as a sub-label in a way. Is that kind of how it was working? Yeah. So it originally was just Quiet Deeds. And then when the when the brewery was going to open and they were going to start producing their own beer, they they sat down and they relooked at you know the logo and the design and what they wanted to do. They landed on Deeds Brewing, but Quiet Deeds has always been the name, so it kind of became a sub brand with the idea of you know you could have the dark deeds like the Imperial Stouts yeah. or the Vanilla Porters, and you know eventually you could have sour beers and they could be dirty deeds, or you could have. Um, you know, char- uh, charitable beers or something like that. And it could be good deeds. Like there was these options to kind of build. It's actually pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. And, and it was, it, you know, it was, it was good, but eventually I think it kind of drifted away to, it drifted into just being deeds brewing. A lot of people yep. kind of associated a lot of, you know, newer or uh, not younger drinkers, but people that hadn't really drunk quiet deeds beer before we started really producing beers out of the facility in Glen Iris, you know, they were like, why is it quiet deeds? Why, what's deeds brewing? It can, it, it sometimes yeah. can come off as a little bit confusing. I guess. I, I know myself when I first saw quiet deeds, I thought you were like a Coca-Cola brand or something like that. That's <laughs> yeah. how I thought. And then I was, I, so originally when I first started to try and seek you guys out for an interview, it was quite a while ago and it was more about the power of a, re, a rebrand or a refresh, that sort of thing. I wanted to talk to your marketing manager, which I don't even know if you've got one, but that's where my angle was because to me it's got, it had gone from this thing that I thought was like a a Coca-Cola or, or a Woolworths brand or something like that into this this juggernaut you know, this, the change in direction, the brand, the beers, obviously the people involved, it was like, wow, this thing has really stepped it up a notch and uh, just went exploded after that, basically. It's really difficult, I think, in the beginning to be a contract brewer or a gypsy brewer because yeah. you're going from facility to facility and it may not be that you, you know, have enough volume to book uh, multiple tanks or you get whatever you can get wherever you go. Um, who can slot you in and then you just, your recipe gets kind of passed around from place to place. And that can be very difficult for control of quality or yeah, control quality of what you want to do, or, you know, there are specific things you might want to do with a beer or a process behind it. And, you know, that contract facility can easily just say, well, we're not going to do it that way. Or they tell you they're going to do it that way. And then they just don't because <laughs> something else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So who were you uh, contract brewing with at the time? Was it a bunch of different people? Was it? Yeah. They bounced around quite a bit. You know, Icon 
which was a big facility, I believe, in New South Wales, I think. Okay. Um, and then who else did they con? They con. I mean, then they contracted Hawkers, obviously, which is where I ended up yeah, meeting them. So- also, brew pack, right? Oh, whoa, what? What? <laughs> You're back. He's back. Nandy's back. I love Fantastic. We'll, we'll take it while we can with him. We're, he's back. Are you okay to join the conversation now, Ned? I'm, I'm absolutely happy to be here. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's out of my control uh, if I'm here or not, apparently. So, you know, you what know. we've got. We've got uh, we've got Ned on special comments tonight. That's what it might be like. You know, you float in and out of the conversation. Just add the add the tidbits in here and there. That's how it'll be tonight. <laughs> I've I've never thought of myself as like a color commentary guy, but okay, you know, <laughs> you could do it. That, if that's me, yeah. then I'm I'm happy. So, you know, I'm versatile. So in in American football terms, you're going to be a maybe a, a Tony Romo, uh, maybe in Ameri- Australian football, a Wayne Carey uh, in basketball. I don't know who I don't Brett, know who it would be. Um, probably like a Reggie Miller or Mark Jackson. Reg, yeah, there you go. Just <laughs> splashing from threes. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm glad All you right. took it to basketball because I'm not an NFL guy. So, but, <laughs> no, I'm, okay. but I'm definitely no basketball. Well, mate, all I got to say is from the bottom of my heart, welcome back to the fucking conversation. I'm from the bottom of my heart. I'm I'm so sorry I couldn't have been. A bigger part of the conversation. <laughs> you will be um, from now on. For as yeah. long as your internet connection or your phone will last, please tell me that your battery's full on your phone. Yep, 24%, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> Just playing with fire, Ned. Play with fire. <laughs> we'll make the most of it while we've got you. But uh, all right, so we've got to the, this is going brilliant, fellas. So we've got to the point where, you know, Deeds is up and running. I want to just jump forward in the timeline of Deeds for a little minute here because. End of 2020, Justin, you know, this is also a shared award but with Ned, but you won the 2020 Brew of the Year in Beer and Brew magazine and they released a great article on you. I really liked it. I read it this week. So first of all, I want to say a belated congratulations for that award, guys, because that is a really top award, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that that article is fantastic. It was a couple of weeks after Justin received the award that I read it. Yeah, it's just great. Like it's a magazine that it's got a decent reputation in the industry and so it does. to see to see any gratification for the work that you do and and the team and 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 especially Justin, you know, it's 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 awesome. It's um yeah, it's bloody nice. Recognition of two years of pretty bloody hard work. Did you say, Justin? Oh yeah. Look, I mean, it was a, a massive team effort. You know, when I when they first told me about it, I was like, "You mean brewery, not brewer? You mean brewery? You know, <laughs> take it easy." You know, and then um, it's uh, it's it's been a massive effort on everybody's part, from the owners letting us, you know, really run with it to do different kinds of things to you know the warehouse guys and the admin staff, and then obviously the production guys and everybody you know, really pitching in to kind of, kind of get it going. And, you know, it had a bit of a rocky start. It didn't quite kick off, but then it just kind of went a little bit hectic there for a little while. You're an amazing company with that award, like, you know, Will Irving from Ferrell, Scotty Hargrove from Bolter, my mate Will Tatchell from Van Diemen among the previous winners. And I read, I really read through that article a couple of times this week because, and I loved it. I love the comment that you made about the mistake. And I'm, I'm using air quotes that you can't see right now, and I'm referring to that mistake that you made in mid-2019 that I'm wondering, perhaps that gave you the, the confidence to blaze a new a new trail for the brand from, from then on in. Do you want to sort of recount that story a bit for us? The double drop, JC. Yeah, the double the drop. Double drop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so 
you know, the schedule, I mean, it was a bit loose and we had started off with doing core range beers and, you know, Neto had this great recipe for this beer, Fortune and Glory. Uh, well, that's what it became to be known that he had, you know, brewed a really nice one in his garage. And um, we were like, yeah, let's do it. And we made a small batch of it. And then it was sometime later, I don't know, maybe six or seven months that it was like, you know, we should put, brew that again and put it in a 440 mil can. And it was around the same time that Carwin had talked about doing a collaboration because they're big supporters of us and we're yep. big supporters of them, you know, as a, as a great bottle shop in um, Melbourne. And we ended up coming up with a hazy beer called The Traveler. And I don't know if we just missed the meeting with the marketing and sales guys or whatever, <laughs> but we ended up all of a sudden where it was like, hey, we got these two double IPAs and they're going to come out at the same time. And we, we brewed so much of them by accident, you know, and we're going to have to release them and it'll be really, you know, interesting to see what happens because they hadn't done anything like that to that point. I mean, we had Juice Train and but that was more of a core range beer and we hadn't really delved into doing different kind of limited beers, even though Ned and I had discussed it at length yeah. on, on terms of things that we wanted yeah. to do. I, b- I believe, just just to cut in on that one, I believe I actually was looking back on um, the email the other day that Justin sent to me with my original contract for Deeds, and it said something around the lines of, are you looking, like amongst other things, are you looking forward to brewing quarterly double IPA releases, <laughs> which is obviously pretty laughable now because of the yeah. amount of releases that we do. Yeah. But um, it was even, yeah, this, even in that er, those early days when this happened, it was like none of us kind of lined up and, and sort of made the ends meet and what this meant in having, I think it was, you know, 3,000 litres of each beer or whatever it was. So it was yeah. like it was a, it was a lot of 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 that kind of beer, and the sales were definitely nervous about like doing a a double release of of two four forty mil similar style hazy double IPA kind of things, and yeah, there was definitely a lot of nervous uh, reactions in the house. Yeah, and then at the end of it, they you know they both sold, and they sold well, and they they disappeared fairly quickly. I think this was around May or June of 2019, maybe. Yeah, it was around the middle of the year, I believe. Yeah, right in winter, you know, your best time to sell beer. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, it went really quickly. And then all of a sudden, we were just kind of sitting there, and Pat and Dave came down and were talking to us, and they said, yeah, that went really well. And I was like, yeah, it did. That's great. There is a market for people. You know, some breweries, they they brew one double IPA a year and that's like their big release. And it's a big deal, you know, to do it. And, you know, we just, we just brewed two one, you know, that were received well. And, you know, I wouldn't say they were the beers of the year for us, but it was like, you know, it was like, oh, people are interested in buying a double IPA randomly or whatever, you know, they, you don't have to wait all year to do it. You can just brew it and, and people might pick it up and then, Pat and Dave were like, "You should, you should do that again. You should do it again." Well, when the when the owners tell you that, you you take it and run with it, don't you? Yeah. Well, it started picking up pace pretty quickly. Like before, after that, we um we started pushing the limits. You know, just beyond. I mean, I know that we are known to be, and Ned and I always talk about this to be like a IPA brewery or whatever a hazy brewery. But we do we do try to push and do different styles and yep. different things, and so. You know, but you know, but the way it is in the market now, you know, a double hazy IPA sells really well, and you know, people 
respond well to it. And it's, it's yeah, a, absolutely. it's a taste that people, people have. And to think that you would be brewing multiple eight plus percent beers in oh, a no. year was something a bit, it was a bit strange, oh. you know, <laughs> no, it's insane. Uh, yeah. Especially considering our background, you know, when Justin and I, and and also our other colleague Paulie, who who came on in the beginning at Deeds, he's our packaging guru um, slash packaging manager. He, um, when when we first came on, you know, our only experience together was brewing at Hawkers, and you know you don't make those kind of beers week in week out. You you make you make a double IPA once a year, and that was it. You made a stout, an imperial stout, yeah. Yeah, an imperial stout, and maybe you put some in barrel. Maybe you release some um, without putting it in barrel. Maybe I mean there was obviously the wheat wine and a couple of other things, but it was not at all the norm. It was the outlier from the you know statistically speaking. Yeah. But it was it was kind of the birth of you guys with what your your shtick, if you like. You know, from then on, it was pretty much one beer every week. For the next eighteen months, wasn't it? Is that about right? Yeah, I mean, at the, at the current rate, yeah, it started gearing up. It, it was a slow, it was a slow wind up, right? It, it got to a point where we kind of reached um, a target of four new beers a month, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't just go straight to that. It was kind of feeling it out a little bit. It took some time to build up, right? So you know, towards the end of twenty nineteen, it's like okay, we're kind of at this two to three a month, and then it's like, what do you want to do in twenty twenty? And you're in December and you're having the meeting and it's like, we'd like to try and do, you know, literally like a beer a week, which is ridiculous and aggressive. And it's very ambitious because you have to manage yeast. And, you know, if you do these beers, you have to ensure the quality on them because they may love you on social media. But if you get one thing wrong, ha, you just don't you're ever really me. hear the end of it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, dead to me. Yes. Like you talk about all those things like the, uh, the yeast and everything, but even... It's got to be a fair challenge, like logistically, to think about distribution, uh, shelf space, uh, naming of the beers, labeling of the beers, like uh, tanks, oh. and my God. Labeling was our probably, I think, doing, I mean, coming up with the beers and whatnot in 2020, that presented its own challenge. And we did end up hitting our target, which was great, but it was a constant battle with getting labels and design and names and everything on time for the beers coming out every few weeks. We fought, Ned and I fought so hard to get ahead as much as we could. But then, you know, you're, you're, you're on the path, especially come 2020, you're on the path and then COVID hits and then mm. everything changes suddenly just for a moment, you know, like, <laughs> and you don't know what's yeah, going to happen. Just long, just long enough to, to ruin all of the, uh, the hard work that you do thinking that you're going to be predicting the future, which obviously no <laughs> one could do at that point yeah, in time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so who comes up with all the names? Like there's there's so many great names. I mean, uh, the, the, D, the DCAT series, they don't know about that uh, hop series, Collusion, uh, Intergalactic Love Sponge or Love Child. Whoa, take it easy there, Love Sponge. Uh, lo- <laughs> no, sorry, Intergalactic Love Child. <laughs> Steady on, Chris, look out. Uh, long days, pleasant nights. It's, man, I mean, that's where we get our names from. Like, I'm pretty sure you just created a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Intergalactic Love Sponge. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. First. We'll never get that through marketing. No we'll never get that through marketing. You no, it won't. But you know that—that's half the battle. We come up with names, and it's like, yeah, I don't know if this one's going to get through marketing, but let's give it a go. Nice. Yeah. It must be a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, everybody kind of contributes 
uh, in the beginning, yeah, in the beginning we used to vote, <laughs> like everybody in the company would vote on names, but then as the, as the schedule became more and more intense in terms of releases, it just kind of shifted away from that. And it was more like, we need a good name and we're just going to run with it. And we don't, we're not going to worry. Like we're not going to come up with five options for every beer because at the end of the day, there's only like one option. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so how how far in advance are you guys planning these things? Like, if if I'm if you're releasing a beer, let's say first of July this year, how far back have you come up with the recipe? Have you had to lock in ingredients that you're ordering? Have you you know named it and all that and got marketing involved? Like, what's the lead time? Well, last year it was not great. <laughs> yeah, last yeah last year it was like it was flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Trying to like like Justin said before, trying to get ahead, trying to work hard to manage that. This year is a little bit different because we have got a larger team in production. So um, Justin is able to spend most of his time off the tools. Yep, just drinking coffee. Yeah, yeah. totally. Cool. Just just yeah. drinking coffee, <laughs> coming in at nine o'clock, leaving in midday. Beautiful. You know how it is. Yeah. I didn't even go in today. You know, <laughs> I didn't even go in. Today. <laughs> you just had your third child, so we'll give you a little break. Yeah, yeah. you also you also had to like clean vomit <laughs> off the the duvet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm yep. interested to hear how that um, blood plum came out. Actually, it looked like a bloody murder scene. I thought I was in a horror film for a moment. It was horrifying. Uh, I had to throw the pillow out. There's just no way you're going to get it out of a pillow. Did you? Uh, did you overindulge, Justin? No, no, no. My daughter threw up a plum at two in the morning two days ago. <laughs> oh, threw up a plum. What was? What did you just call that? A, a bloody plum. I think there's a name in a beer for that. There could be, and it was very, very nasty, and it was a mess. And then so. I wasn't feeling well, so then I stayed away. And then, yeah, from there, it was, uh, uh, it's been intense. So, like Ned was saying, we, we got a full production team with rotating shifts, which we didn't have before because Ned and I were both kind of managing things, you know, in terms of the beers themselves, but also having to be on the tools for shifts and do everything there as well. So, it was, there was quite a couple pinch points last year, especially as the brand started to grow a bit with all the releases that were coming out, people were becoming more and more interested. So there was this desire to do, you know, more and more and more. And then the core range starts picking up as well. You know, with that happening, it became, uh, it was a bit of an intense time, but we finally got a team in place now that allows us to spend time doing the other things. And again, like Ned said, in 2019, it wasn't exactly spectacular what was happening in terms of um, us keeping up. But this year, because we were able to sit down and kind of plan the schedule out through December, we we built this the brewing schedule and the tank schedule, and then into that we put the core range, and then on top of that we put limiteds, and then we submitted the list of limiteds that we thought about with sales and marketing, and then that got approved, and they allocated them to different slots, and now we are slowly building recipes, probably about three months in advance. So big bloody machine now, isn't it? It is. In an ideal world, we want it to all turn nicely. It's a tough one. Like it's one thing to have um, new beers that you're making and the recipe is formulated and whatever. To be honest, that is a bit of work in itself. But to tie that into a schedule of production brewery where you're trying to manage growth of the brand and the core range especially, that can be difficult. You both mentioned the core range there. What even is your core range these days? I don't even know. Yeah, so our core range, I mean, I guess our flagship or our most popular beer is probably Juice Train, right? So that's the New England IPA, 6.5%. 
pretty tasty little juicy number. And then there's double time, which is yeah, four point six, and that's a, a hazy pale ale. Had that on the on the tap down at Boodle Beasley in Hobart last week. Delicious. Oh, excellent. Yeah, that's that's a favourite of of mine for sure. And JC's like it's it's a nice little one to to wet the whistle. Um, and then yeah, the draft, which is a really good mover, um, especially on keg. Um, and then we've got XPA, which is a, a more beer. recent addition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's been a really fun one for us. Playing around with it, just try and see, you know, how much flavor we can pack into a price competitive product. Yep. That's that's pretty much the core range, if I'm not mistaken. Half-time. What about halftime? Halftime, yeah. yes. Don't forget the bloody midi. You're talking to the lover of mid-strength beers. Oh, mate. Yeah, no, halftime's been a really fun one. JC came up with that recipe. Shit, it must be about 12 months ago now. The first batch we made, I was like, oh, we'll see how it goes. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'll see how it goes, Justin. Let's, let's you know, it's not easy to make a mid-strength beer. And, no. and the first one, it's like, oh, man, you bastard. You've absolutely knocked this <laughs> out of the park. Like. It was it was delicious. It was a bit of body on it, plenty of protein in there. There's there's a decent whack of haze in half time and that's like um that comes from a lot of protein. It's a it's it's a bit of a deed style low ABV beer. Um we don't call it hazy, but it's definitely yep. it's definitely got plenty of haze on it. Yep. Um yep. not too much bitterness though, and yeah, decent hot presence. So that, that's a fun one. But but we brought on um a new sales manager a while back now and and he's he's absolutely been Paul Sharp. He's he's done an excellent job. And the core range is is really grown a lot, and I, I attribute a lot of that to him for sure. And what what about collaborations? Do you guys love a collaboration? I mean, Ocho, Venom, HPA, Bloodhound, Froth Mag, to name a few. What is it about the collaborations that a gets you going, and b how the hell do you fit it into your schedule? Oh, I think uh, you know collaborations. I think are always very valuable in the sense of actually collaborating <laughs> and, and you know, learning something and getting something, you know, kind of on the back end that can help with doing different things. It's also a good chance to to hang out and, um, you know, to brew with some mates and do some different yeah, nice. things. So in 2019, it was all, oh, you know, we should try to do a couple collaborations. And, you know, we were able to hook up with the guys from Rocky Ridge and we did a wheat wine with them. You know, that was more of a double hazy IPA really, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and um, we did Viper Pit with Venom, which was a lot of fun. We had worked with Joel before when he had contract brew, you know, contract brewed out of Hawkers. And then Dan Hall, we did Tallboy and Moose. I don't know if you know them. Yes, yep. We did a, a collaboration with them last year that was fun because Dan was actually the guy that taught me how to brew. Oh, nice. He was like kind of the senior brewer at Hawkers when I joined and he had to take all my late night phone calls when I was left on the deck by myself way <laughs> too prematurely. <laughs> yeah, so I have a pretty good relationship with him. So we want to do something with him. We just decided to keep it going. We worked with Carwin because we have a very good relationship with Carwin Sellers and big supporters of us. And doing a beer with them is always fun to hang out with the Bens. And then, you know, coming in 2020, you know, we probably didn't do as many collaborations as we did the year before, we also did one with Froth and we did one with the Merry Mashers, the, the homebrew club. So there was there was a spat where we did quite a few. Yeah. And then this year, we I think we toned it down a bit. You know, we did something with some of Ned's mates and I met some guys from out of range when I was in Colorado oh, yeah. last year. So, so many bloody things. It's fantastic. It's uh, it's it's awesome just being able to get to share those ideas and and hopefully learn from each other, isn't it? That's that's what it's all about, man. Like I've I've done a fair bit of travel, me and my wife. And unfortunately for her, although 
like I love her dearly and, and she's <laughs> a really good sport and every every like bit of travel that we do now there's definitely breweries along the way that it's just like that's a part of I have a wife too she suffers through the same thing yeah but having said that you know on our honeymoon I I managed to so we had one week in Mexico and one week in California touring breweries but during that time you know we we met um Jay at the rare barrel and hung out with him and it was like he got on really well with me but also with Julia you know, when he visited Australia in 2019, we went out to dinner and now we, we talk over the phone and, and via email all awesome. the time. And he's, he's, he's a really good friend of ours, yeah. like not just mine, but also gets along with my wife really well. So I guess what I'm saying is like, it's kind of a powerful tool to be in the, in the industry and to travel around the world and not to be afraid to like drop emails to breweries in the area where yep. you're planning to travel to. And I do it all the time and I'm, I'm nobody and I don't even work for a brewery. Well, no, I mean, no, but no, that, that's that's not true. Like you, you're you're someone who's like you're the same as me, or you're the same as Justin. You know, you're someone who's who's in the industry who appreciates beer. There's there's friends out there. You know, that is the industry that's so welcoming. Yeah, I can go to somewhere like Brooklyn and go to Brooklyn Brewery, or I could be in another state of Australia and and feel like it's okay just to reach out to that owner slash brewer or whatever and go and you know, have a beer with them. And I don't even know them from a bar of soap or whatever you say. It's just, it is just, it's such yeah. a great industry that but way. It, well, it, it's just, it's just an easy way to bring people together. You know, it's, it's, it's a common interest, you know, that's all you need to spark a conversation, yep. right? And you know what you're talking about with your wife going before, like my wife comes with me too. Sometimes my kids come as well. And she has just as much fun as me. I remember one day we were up in, in Tenerife and before the sale of Green Beacon, I went over there and sort of met with some of the guys there. And, oh, my God, we had the most magnificent afternoon. We are both struggling to get home at the end of it, but they treated us like kings. She was drinking wine. I was drinking beer. We met a whole bunch of people in the sales team, in the brewery, people that were drinking there as well. And it was just a magnificent afternoon because you get to one of these places and the, the vibe is just so much love in the room. It's just unreal. Yeah, it, it really fills you up. It makes makes you feel super special. You know, Justin and I had a similar experience when we went up to um, Sydney just for a quick in and out visit for 24 hours when we um, celebrated the uh, release of our collaboration with One Drop in November. But we also met up with some other brewers as well. And, you know, the highlight was not only meeting up with, with friends that we've been talking with for ages, I met up with with our fruit supplier who's helped us out with with so oh, much awesome. fruit over the last you know eighteen months. He dropped down and him and and his um his offsider who was like processing the stuff. You know the berry man Greg he's a bloody legend. It was <laughs> it was so it was so nice to to meet him in person and to to have a beer and and really hang out. Like that's what it's all about, you yeah, know. Absolutely. Just, I, I I talked to him on the phone so many times, like ah. Oh, it's just such a nice guy and then to be able to go to Sydney and, and chat to him, it's, I mean, you know, he doesn't make beer but that's a part of the industry as yeah, well, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Guys, it would be remiss of me in terms of talking about your beers to to not discuss with you the ridiculously generous amounts of hops that you throw into your dry hop beers. I want to know, did that initially start out as maybe as a dare or potentially a marketing ploy or did we just like, oh, let's let's try this thing? Oh, I mean, I think, I think Ned and I both had – 
discussions early on in terms of talking about, you know, how far we we could, you know, push it or what kind of flavors you could get at, at you know, doing things at a higher rate and during fermentation, throw around biotransformation buzzword, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but, um, you know, at the end of the day, we talked to different breweries that we knew, you know, um, Ned had traveled to Europe and chatted with some breweries out of the UK and I have a friend in this, you know, that I went to high school with that is now a head brewer at a brewery in the States that worked at one in New York and shout out to Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, there you go, Lewis. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we talked to them about different things and how they were doing it and how they approached it. And, you know, it was like, well, if they can, if they can do it, there's absolutely no reason why we can't, you know, give it a go and try at this level. And, you know, early on, we'd sit down with our bosses and go through the cost of the beers, you know, because you're like, oh, of course, yeah, 24 grams a liter. You know, we're like the most popular guys amongst the hop suppliers. <laughs> we're like laughable. We're, we're like, you know, you know, what a client you could luck into. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we started talking about um, different kinds of beers we wanted to do. And early on, there was a bit of resistance as there always is because most meetings you have when you're designing a beer are, you know, you want to get it as cheap or not as cheap as possible, but within a price yeah. bracket. Yeah. Like competitive price wise. Yeah. You want to make it competitive. And then yeah. we just had this mentality of, well, why do we have to do that? Why don't we just make it what we want? And then we'll see what happens. And maybe people, maybe there's a market for, maybe people will fucking love it. Maybe people will want that. Maybe people will like it like we do and are willing to, you know, to, 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 to go for it. And that's basically how it came about. And from there, I mean, yeah, we've, we've done some ridiculously large dry hops that what's the, what's the largest you've, you've dropped. I mean, there's moment I'm drinking the, the don't know about that Amarillo, which is 24 grams per liter. What's the most you've put in 50 shit. What would be a regular release, like the average sort of dry hop for these, you know, special range beers that you're putting out? Yeah, you look, you're looking at it right now. 24, about average? Yeah, I'd say 20, yeah. 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 That's a lot of hops. 24 is probably pretty average. That's pretty much our standard for a double IPA. Yep. It can dip yeah. to 20, it can get up to 30, and like I said, it's been up to 50 on fiscal damage, which is like a December kind of annual release. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, that's, that's like the release just to really – bash people's <laughs> wallets just before Christmas. You want you want to go big? We're going to go bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a thing early on for us, you know, when we were coming up with the beers. Uh, I'd always talk to Ned about how, you know, when we're making this kind of beer, you got you to gotta be as informative as possible. Because when I go into a bottle shop and I look at a, if I'm going to buy an IPA, I immediately start scanning it for information. Yeah. Your ABV, your can size, Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're packaged on date or if you can decipher it from whatever the print stamp is on it, you know, these things guide my decision making. And the idea of putting the grams per liter on there came from that as, well, if you're going into a bottle shop and you're seeing a beer that's costing whatever, yeah. eight or 10 or $12 a can, you probably would want to know why with the amount of money I'm in yeah. There. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. yeah, we had a lot of back and forth on that. And, and even to this day, I still have mixed feelings about it. Not not necessarily just the the dry hop grams per liter, but the more fruit beers we do talking about grams per liter on that. Because, you know, there's there's the upside and there's the downside to it. And and the upside is obviously as a consumer you can see like what are you paying for basically? Like it's a really easy way to see where your money's going. Yeah. And and why why that can costs what it does. Like our beers definitely sit at a higher price point on the shelf, yep. but you can see 
um, with the IPA is what, what you Yeah, for sure. And look, I, I would I'll sort of bring it back to one beer that I recently purchased from you guys, which was the one standard drink. Now there's not it's not very often that I would shell out what it was, I don't know, twenty eight bucks or whatever it was for a four pack of a three percent beer. But <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking, you know, this is this is highly dry hopped and um I I love fuller flavor beers that have got a lower ABV. So I was okay to pay with that, but I was just wondering how hard is it to make a beer like that at three percent? So that's even less than the uh, the half time that we're talking about. Was it half time? Yeah, half time. we were talking yeah. about before, even less percentage wise. So there's even less to hide behind in that. How did you go about designing that beer? Yeah, I guess it was a, a pretty similar approach to half time. Um, we found a good amount of success on the the base of that recipe. Not saying that, you know, because we've been brewing that for a little while now and we've definitely tweaked it a lot along the way. Yeah, just going going to the base of that and just bringing it back a little bit, managing the attenuation of the beer, making sure it doesn't go too far or it doesn't finish too too fat. Yep. Um, you need to have a good amount of residual body to make sure the beer is not too watery. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but you don't want it to taste worthy at all, like under attenuated. It's 3% it's like that's a very that's a very low ABV beer. Jeez. And <laughs> to, to be to be honest, that's like that's the lowest that we've gone at Deeds in, in if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, like the, the, the sort of level of dry hop that we threw at that, it's experimental. Like do we need to throw that at a 3% beer? Maybe Probably not. not. Maybe we could get maybe we could get um, as good results out of a two thirds of that dry hop or even half of that dry hop. But let's let's just say it won't be the last three um, percent beer that we release cool. in that nice. kind of format. Nice. I, I I really look forward to trying another one again and just just working on it and refining it. Yep. You know, as we do with all of our beers, yep. it's um it's con- constant learning. Yeah. I, I really love that beer. And uh, I think my cans arrived from your online shop about four days after it was released. So it, it was damn fresh. And I, I just could not yeah. wait to try that beer because, you know, I'm a big believer in in lower ABV, mid-strength beers, just being a dad and all that sort of stuff. I crap on about it all the time, but I, I'm a real believer in it. And so I, I quickly, I threw it in the, the fridge uh, and I tried it later that night. And I've got to say that I thought maybe it was maybe a little too fresh. It felt a little bit. Bit yeah. green, maybe a little bit burny. So I left them for a fortnight. I was like, oh, I actually was quite disappointed when I first drank it. I thought, nah, it could just be too fresh because I, I remember drinking a beer at another pub down here, and someone said to me, oh, I think that hop needs to just relax a little bit of that beer and 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 you know sort of mellow out a bit. So I left them for a fortnight before I drank the rest, and that beer was absolutely amazing. I I always thought that fresh was best. We always crap on about that in this industry, but. I'm just wondering, can you know freshness sometimes work against a beer like that with a maybe with a lower malt bill, not being able to balance out that in, intense dry hopping? I think, um, yeah, I can definitely speak for that beer. It's um, coming out of the other end of the centrifuge for whatever reason. You know, some some beers settle really nicely, like be it a massive double IPA with just like a huge load of protein, massive dry hop. You know, within a couple of days of being chilled, like a lot of the stuff settles out and you can pull a sample off the tank and it just tastes beautiful. And then mm. other times, you know, you pull a sample off, say, one standard drink and it's been on chill for a week and you taste it and it's got a real 
bitterness from a yeast and and hop kind of uh, combination. It's like a bite. Um, the linger. Yep. Yeah, it lingers on the back of the palate. And we definitely found that in the, the processing of that beer, um, you know, there's no, no hiding it. Um, we're, we're totally happy to talk about that. We found that really interesting that processing that beer, it didn't come out after, you know, the tank time that we gave it. We didn't expect it to, to come out that way. It was like super hazy, like a lot of yeast in suspension. And as a result, you know, it, it affects the price. Like you said, it was in the vein of halftime, standard drink. We wanted to see what we could we could get away with flavor-wise and making a beer like that. Um, the idea of coming into summer and making a beer that was a lower ABV. I'm now a dad of three and um, I do like, I do like my, you know, I do like my flavor yep. and I do, you know, I do like a double IPA or a triple IPA or a bourbon barrel aged stout, whatever. But on the flip side, it can also be um, not a beer that you, you can't drink them all the time. Nah. And it's yep. nice it's nice to have like a, a more of a barbecue style beer yeah. and, you know, these draft and whatever double time and half time, they can all fit that bill. Yeah. But, um, a standard drink, I think was a, an attempt at making something as, you know, as big and bold as say a juice train, but keeping oh, it. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> a little different to the samples you sent me, Dan. I'll just look at them today. Fiscal damage, nine and a half percent. Love child, 8%. Fortune and glory, 8%. Amarillo, 8.5. They're not really uh school night session beers, are they? Oh, uh, I mean, they can be, <laughs> but no, not really. <laughs> not quite, but uh, no, that's, it was, it was a nice change of pace. And as I said, I, I really did enjoy that beer after the initial first one, which was a little bit of a shock. They just it just mellowed out and it was magnificent and now they're all good. yeah we do find that I mean some of the beers they benefit from sitting they come into their prime you see a lot more on social media people talking about give it a week give it two weeks or whatever I don't know if that's just a byproduct of you know the beers you know you, you know you can have a packaging shock yeah big time definitely that can definitely I mean don't get me wrong we're very lucky in the sense that we get the opportunity to try these beers, not only on tank, but the second that they get packaged and the difference in what they taste like on the day versus a few days later, it can go both directions. And, you know, our, our mentality is to get the beer out as freshly as possible to our consumers. And if they want to put it in their fridge and age it for a week, then they should have that prerogative. You know, we have to ship beer all over the country. Yep. And I would rather it be settling while it's in transit than sitting with us for an extra two weeks and then sending it out. And then it's like a month old by the time you get it. Fair enough. Yeah. And that's, that's what we had. We had a packaged on date to every beer, you know, so like you pass on the, the knowledge of, of where that beer is um, to the consumer and they can make the, the choice for themselves. Nice. Hey, I'm um, speaking of fresh is best and, you know, used by that sort of stuff. You, you had the nuke point, which, you know, originally you had grand plans for only being available on shelves <laughs> for, for 30 days. That, amazing, amazing idea. And I think I, I noticed this week actually um, Ballistic are doing something similar but was that actually a bit of a logistical nightmare to make that work? And has that disappeared? Absolute disaster, that oh, beer. Was it? Let me tell you. Oh, no. My meetings in sales and marketing were bad after we came up with that idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was Ned and I, and it was this idea of, you know, this is beer that's going to be brewed fresh every month and whatnot. And where we could have just been brewing a different IPA with a different label 
and you know, similar to what might be happening now or or whatever that that ends up selling out within thirty days, or you know, you 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 wind down most of your stock within you know a couple months or whatever. I think the the idea was, oh, we'll we'll have something that will turn over. But look, it was very ambitious. We we're very <laughs> ambitious. Um, Just to make it clear, like the the ultimate goal of that was us as beer drinkers like to walk into a bottle shop or to a bar or whatever it might be and to be able to look at a beer and and just go i know that's going to be under a month old yep yeah it's a beautiful romantic idea isn't it yeah yeah oh totally it's it's like it's definitely romantic (laughs) 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 To, to look at it and say I all I know that Nuke Point is always going to be under thirty days old. Yeah, and I guess that that was our kind of goal. The design of it was obviously flawed, and yeah, like Justin said, it was ultimately a failure. But but you know what though? It's just great to see that you guys are human and you don't smash everything out of the park. <laughs> you are human. That's okay. It's all right, mate. It's all right. Look, yeah. Look, in the early days, we definitely didn't smash everything out of the park. And, I mean, I'd, I'd argue we, we still don't smash everything out of the you park. You have a pretty good crack at but it. Still, Come on, let's not be modest. strike here. rate's not bad, but it's not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And we will never be perfect as long as we are brewers. We'll never, never be perfect. But we're not here to make hazy IPA after hazy IPA. We love making those styles and we've definitely, um, we're very well practiced at it. And I'd argue that we've probably had a lot more practice at it than a lot of other breweries in the country. Maybe the best is yet to come. You never know. We try. Yeah, yeah well, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd, just, I'd just say that, you know, the brewery is still young. We're still learning yep. and our palette of beers doesn't just reside with double IPAs. Yeah, fair enough. We have a lot of passion for lager, mm-hmm. um, a lot of passion for barrel-aged beers, and, yeah, the, the world's a our oyster. So. Hey, um, I want to bring you back to that beer and brewer article for a second because, Justin, you talked about the team being able to MacGyver solutions together, and, again, I love my references to 80s and 90s, so the 80s TV show MacGyver, I loved it. I want to know, how does MacGyvering in brewing work? Because usually with MacGyver, it's like a piece of gum being stuck to the wing of a plane to stop it falling off. What, what did you mean by that? Yeah, well, that's pretty much exactly right. <laughs> uh, no, look, I mean, it's people sometimes forget as much as a brewery is a romantic idea, you know, making a beer and making something by hand and drinking it. At the end of the day, there's a lot of um, very uh, common notes with a factory. Yep. <laughs> you know, you, you, you create a product, you process, you know, you, you make that product and ours might take 16 or 18 days to make. You then have to process that product, finish it, and then package that product. Basically, every step of the way, something can go wrong. <laughs> and no matter how much you plan for it, and no matter how much preventative maintenance you do, and no matter how much you're ahead of the game or feeling good and feeling strong, something is going to happen. It just, it's just, you're always going to get blindsided at the end of the day in a brewery. It's like what broke today? That's the, the conversation. Yeah. That's like the final meeting of the day. What broke today? Oh, 
that did. Oh, that's not a big deal. I'm so glad that it was only that. Oh, that that's easy. Oh, yeah, but nah, Ned was <laughs> like, he was almost broken today. Uh, he'll be fine tomorrow. Don't worry about it. When, yeah. uh, when I read that, I, I researched some of MacGyver's greatest uh, solutions and a couple of them really stuck out to me. So I've got a couple here for you. The scenario is MacGyver is trapped in a basement room. He's only got sticks, rocks, rags, pipe, and a boiler. So MacGyver takes a pipe bolted onto the wall and turns it into a torpedo that blasts right through the wall, creating his escape route. Yes. That was great. And another one, MacGyver is stuck with a car that won't start. So he has egg whites and water. MacGyver repairs the gash in the car's radiator by grabbing an egg out of a nearby chicken coop. Once he gets the water in the radiator to a temperature, he pours the egg whites into the water and uses them to plug the hole as they cook. How good was MacGyver? Wow. Man, what a sexy man. <laughs> I mean, MacGyver was a very sexy man. I'm I'm surprised that you haven't mentioned an avocado. I feel like that's that's like the absolute MacGyver. What did he do with an avocado? Oh, just He could do anything with an avocado. Exactly. It's the most random in- ingredient, so you can just use it however you like. He was amazing. Yeah, but you gotta think US in the eighties. Not a lot of avocados, not a big thing. No, that's true. Okay, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Justin. That's a really Australian thing to yeah, say. It was. Oh, we're sorry, mate. We're sorry. No, it's all right. I had a lovely talk with Justin earlier tonight about his uh, time in America because we're both Pittsburgh Steelers fans. While we we're waiting for you to get your technical stuff sorted out, Ned, we learned so much about each other. Oh, it was so great. So, <laughs> anyway, so you, you, got, you got through the mistake that we talked about earlier. You kept things together during COVID. You lived up to the, the hype in the market for your beers. What's the strategy moving forward? Are you going to keep up that pace? Are you pulling back a bit? Are you going to switch things up? I think the big thing on the horizon for us, I mean, at the moment is, um, you know, we've got a couple things, um, I guess, like in terms of our whole worldwide, you know, it's the yeah. tap room and what that is going to do to the brand and impact production and what that's going to look like. Because we have, you know, beers dedicated for the tap room and just how we're going to approach that. I think on the other side, there is a lot of um, passion from both Ned and I for oak and beer on oak. We have a lot of ambitious plans around, you know, working more with barrels and doing different things at the moment. We've got a lot of imperial stout uh, aging in bourbon barrels. I hope you've got some space at the brewery. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We stack those barrels high. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stack them high. Stack them high. Yeah, sour beers, you know, another big big area for us and fruited sours and things like that, that we're hoping to get rolling out, you know, over the the course of 2021, you know, again, 2020 was, you know, a bit of a whirlwind and kind of setting up how we wanted to operate and beers we wanted to make and, and trying to, you know, consistently hit quality. And then in 2021, taking that and then pushing it just a little bit further with the advent of the tap room and really because we have a full production staff now and rotating team you know we're able to focus on on these other projects because i'm you know i'm extremely passionate about boozy imperial stouts aged in bourbon barrels and you know that is overly passionate about you know um sour mixed culture beers it's good that we get to explore those things now and and really take a crack at you know releasing beers that still excite us what i would what i would call the original hypey boy beers. <laughs> the original hypey boy. That that's the bourbon barrel uh, yes, imperial stout. The OG yeah, hypey no, fair boy. Yeah. Well, exciting times. And and that tap room that you're talking about putting in whenever that does actually eventually open. I know it takes a while to get these things doing. Twenty minutes from the Flinders Street station, I read today along the the Glen Waverley train line. 
and also a bloody tram line to it as well. How good is that? Yeah, you better believe it. We walk into work at the top of the driveway. We come down through the gate and you can see people standing on the platform at Glen Iris train station. That is awesome. You could hop off, have a pint and get back on by the time the next train <laughs> comes around. Brilliant. It's a it's an interesting location because you're in the middle of this neighborhood and old neighborhood and big houses. Um, and you're just up from, you know, you're just up from what Burke Road, I think it is. And then all of a sudden you go and there's this tiny little industrial street that goes back you know, parallel to the train track, and in the middle of it now is this brewery. With a sawtooth roof. Yes, that's correct. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice little developing strip of shops there on High Street. It's, nice. it's, there's, it's the, our local bakery, and there's a cafe which makes banging coffee, which we definitely hit up every day. Ooh, when is there going to be collaboration with the local coffee house roasters? Oh, huh? It's only a matter of time, clearly. <laughs> that That's the second idea I've given you tonight, intergalactic, intergalactic love sponge and a coffee stout with uh, the neighbours. There you go. You are welcome. Yeah, thank you. Can you just pop that in an email? Uh, just, just send it to ned at deedsbrewing.com.au. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, no Thanks, drama. Chris. No yeah, drama. cheers. Now, the last thing I want to leave you with tonight, I'm not sure if you guys are fans of something about Mary, a movie from the 90s. In my head, I always think of when people are pushing the boundaries, I think of that, uh, you know, that thing in the car where where Ben Stills with that guy, he's picked up the hitchhiker and he's talking about revolutionising the eight-minute abs industry. You heard of this thing, the eight-minute abs? Yeah, sure, 8-Minute Apps, yeah, the uh, exercise video. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, this is going to blow that right out of the water. Listen to this, 7-Minute Apps. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if we were to take that same approach with your 50 grams per litre dry hopping, what would it take to go from from that to the next revolutionary dry hop level? To, to get it to go to the next level, it it really only takes a meeting, <laughs> you know, in order, in like in terms of like, well, we've run out of ideas. Chuck another 10 in. <laughs> I guess we can always go back <laughs> to old reliable option B, just ramp it right up. See what happens. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. 75 yes. grams a liter. I know. Ooh. I know. It's crazy. But just listen, hear me out. It's going to be Citra. <laughs> It'll be all Citra. Here's my third idea for the night. If you do push it that far, that beer must be called Seven Minute Abs. <laughs> Done. Sure. Done. Another email. Deal. Done deal. <laughs> that would be great. No worries. Pop, pop it in there. Ugh, mate. Um, like, I feel like I dropped out when we were talking about the beer names earlier, so I, maybe, I, maybe I lost a bit of that. But um, when it comes to beer names, you know, it's it's pretty free and easy as long as we get it um, get it in a non-offensive yeah. kind yeah. of zone where it makes sense. We've got a strong uh, idea, a concept. And then that that translates into yep. the label. So seven minute abs is definitely not no, off the no, table. Fair enough. No, fair, I think it's great. Absolutely. I mean, have you seen Lament Configuration? Have you seen it? <laughs> like that's. If we can yeah. get that through, we can do yeah, seven minute abs. We can, can do it. <laughs> oh, guys. Well, uh, I've got to say that the uh, episode has definitely lived up to all of my expectations. Um, Wow, what a great chat. We got there eventually. We've had uh, technical issues and all sorts of shit to deal with tonight, so hopefully I've been able to piece together some kind of episode for the listeners because I think they're absolutely going to love 
the story of of uh, the Deeds Brewing uh, journey and and both you, uh, Justin and Ned, your uh, your own personal journeys as well. Like it's been fantastic. We've covered a lot of ground tonight. Probably gone well over time. So I have to say thank you so much to you guys for uh, for joining me here tonight. It has been absolutely fantastic, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best for the future. And I'm going to keep a real close eye on what you guys are up to. Absolutely. If you're ever up in Melbourne, especially post April, you should come visit us, and we will. Sort you out. My my office for work is in Melbourne. Uh, I've got a new boss in Melbourne starting this week, and uh, I'm expecting to go and have a visit her a few times. So uh, if that happens, I'm gonna have to do the rounds. Absolutely. Even if it's before April and the tap room gets up and running, you know you are our uh, our guest um, at the brewery. So please come down Thank and have you very a tour. Much. And uh, Ned's dropped off yet again tonight, so, but I'm I'm sure he'd be saying many many kind words to me as well at this stage, but. Uh, yeah. Uh, you back, uh, mate? Uh, thank, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here. You know, we always love talking about our crafts, so just pleased to to talk about it with you. So, thanks for having us. Great stuff. So, uh, thank you very much for your time tonight, and uh, cheers to great beers. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have an interesting beer story and want to be a guest on the Beer Healer interviews, send me a message via my Facebook page. And once again, if you want to help out the show, a simple rate and review on Apple Podcasts or a follow, like or share on any other podcast service will do the trick. I'll catch you soon.